Welcome back to Don't Slam Your Podcast. I am, as ever, your 2.4 host, J.D. Collins. Now we're on to the Series 4 finale before the Christmas special. This is You Only Live Twice, the second part of the two-part finale. Joining me to discuss it further is Thomas, who we spoke to last week. Hello, Thomas. Thanks again for coming back. Hello. It's very nice to be back again. So we've we've already discussed Frenzy, and so we might as well go straight into the review. But before that, we will hear from our very own Andrew Marshall. Hello, everybody. Uh, this week we're talking about Series 4, Episode 6, the final episode and the, the final part of the two-part uh, finale of the series. You Only Live Twice, which is, of course, named after the James Bond novel stroke movie stroke song by Nancy Sinatra. Um, and the show opens with the house burning down due to an electrical fault on the Kettleflex, which you may have noticed we cunningly foreshadowed in the previous episode. Um, Richard was quite alarmed when we uh, we turned in this script because he wasn't quite sure how we were going to stage this fire, and um, it's very expensive to set a, you know, a location house on fire, and we didn't have access to the sort of CGI and, and culling computer devices that you have these days so we decided that it would actually be better both dramatically and for the budget if you never actually saw the house on fire you merely saw the reactions to the house on fire so what we actually had was a crowd of people uh, with a sort of uh, flickery red lights on them and, uh, and a bit of smoke and uh, Bill and Rona's reaction to the fire instead which was I think a very good thing because uh, the budget had forced us into something which is actually more interesting. You don't really particularly need to see the fire. What's important is their reaction to it, and uh, I think that, that works pretty well. Uh, after the fire brigade leave, um, and um, my brother-in-law is, is or was at the time a firefighter, so he was able to tell us the, the rather shocking um, fact that when the fire brigade have, have put out a fire, they just leave and that's it, you're left to it, which we thought was really quite interesting. And that plays into the drama, into the episode uh, quite well. Fortunately, um, Bill's mother, Bet comes to the rescue and uses the war spirit to cheer them all up and sort it all out in the end. And the final shot is them redecorating with the lovely peach colour that... Uh, Belinda and I wanted to have, but we won't have for very long. Anyway, here it is, uh, episode six of the fourth series, You Only Live Twice. So no time's wasted. They go straight into a slight recap of probably from about the Archers onwards, um, which yeah, I like. I think, I think it is literally the same exact footage. You get like the last minute of the previous episode, which I like the way they do that. They just replayed it rather than doing a previously on. Yeah. An American show would do. And it's just not as fun. Yeah, I agree. It works well because then you're actually into the moment leading up to the cliffhanger and then straight into it. So, yeah, Mona puts the snakes yeah. in the handbag and the bags are moving when Mona hands it to Tony. It's amazing. I am pretty sure that's a snakeskin handbag, which to me is just an extra giggle yes uh, it's like when you see snake um, made boots or for women it's just it's yeah those little details are always really enjoyable and we learned that it's bill's house that's on fire 
they run outside there's 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 a fire engine outside there's firing out there and the way that the light flickers on them and with the blue lights it's really quite intense it's like watching london's burning yeah and of course that was in production at the same time i do kind of wonder if they borrowed a few people off that show just to make it more realistic and you know you have this sequence of lines never mind the snakes my house is on fire and then they give the bag to tony and she goes keep this safe and don't open it no further explanation we're on to the house is on fire yeah and you don't even really see the fire which you know partly that is a budget thing because staging a house fire is so expensive um but also you don't need it for this scene no the smoke and flicker is amazing chaos and it's all very intense. You know, there's lots of unusual camera angles. It all adds to this sense of chaos and confusion and horror. Yeah. And also the question that fireman asks, anyone inside? And he asks it in such a casual way, because that's their day job. Yeah. You know, and yet at the same time, if the answer to that wasn't no, that is a very different scenario absolutely you know as he says that rona goes there's ben and he appears with the children so at that moment the worst case scenario is not happening yes exactly it's in we just know that it's now a case of that everyone's safe it's the it's the lead up to the aftermath of what's going to happen next it's and kudos to the crew to the, to the crew in this as you say it's so well staged so well looked at at that moment on the location shooting this doesn't look like a sitcom this looks like a drama and you know it's it's apparently i read somewhere because i was doing some research um looking at archive newspapers online and apparently this episode was used or this scene was used for training, fireman training. And I think, you know, I do feel it's very realistic when it comes to how they deal with everything. Yeah, and there is the fact that the firemen are good at the fireman part of their job in this sequence. They're less good at the looking after the family whose house has got up. And we'll come back to that later on in the scene with Neil, the fireman. Yeah, and... You know, it is very difficult if you're in that situation to even process it. And the next few scenes are all so beautifully written. It is all shock reaction and people kind of just doing things because they're not really able to process it. Like you have Bengs yelling out, hang on, I've got a key rather than <laughs> bashing the door in. Yeah. And it's like that is actually something people do in that kind of really stressful situation. They focus on something that actually i can deal with that i can't deal with the fact the house is on fire but i have got a key yeah everything's very realistic in this scene and i just want to make a a funny observation is when bill goes back inside to rona's house to see the kids ben notices tony's holding the handbag almost like um a woman holding a bag on her elbow and it's just like he's just like what's that and tony's just like still a bit dazed yeah i mean you have there is a conversation that needed to be had about their respective evenings in the previous yeah. episode. Yes. <laughs> because Ben is dressed as a blues brother and Tony is stood there in just his dressing gown with a handbag full of Cobra. Yeah. And in any other context, that would be enough of a conversation. But in this situation, it's the least important thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And 
in Rona's kitchen, she's the, she seems the most in shock of everybody, actually. Um, she's going kind of keeping everyone calm with, with biscuits. And David's trying to lighten the mood, saying that an inferno could hit the street as a backdrop. And, you know, he's, he's just not reading the room at all. That, again, is a stress coping mechanism, though. It he's is. got all this knowledge about fires, because you see these kind of books he reads, which are real books. You yeah. see him reading about, like, disasters and plagues and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I do have some of those, that series. Nice. And, you know, they do go into all this detail. So clearly his brain is just going, well, I know this, I know this. And that's the shock cycle his brain is on. And it's not a very helpful one and he has a go at him. But it's also, again, completely understandable. I almost wonder if they asked like a psychiatrist in just to check over the scripts for these scenes. I I I I wonder the same because what's so interesting is that the characters are all very individual. They react in their own way and, and real to the characters. You know, then when Bill sort of says, look, let's just get into this into proportion. Whatever happens, we're all right. It's only property. And then Ben Ench is saying, kitchen's gone off. And Bill just goes, my kitchen. You know, she's just going against everything she's just said. And, you know, what? what is it the British way of dealing with everything? Cup of tea. You know, Rona's made teas for everyone. And, yeah, and the scotch. She wants the scotch as well. Yes, I mean, this reminded me actually of an incident where I was living in a flat and flats further down the street caught on fire. And literally the only thing I could think to do, I was stood in the street offering round cups of tea to the people who'd all been evacuated out of you. Oh, of flat. Of you. Yeah. Because it was like, what can you do? Oh, I can offer them a tea at least. Well, I was recently Very watching um, Victoria Wood's Nice Cup of Tea, the drama documentary in 2013. And it's pretty clear that's what won us the war. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, they just made cups of tea for all the army men and, and, and everyone at home. And that's how we kept cool. And it works. My God, a cup of tea works and i've only been a tea drinker for about four years and yeah i i i can't live without it now so <laughs> it's it's another thing as well that happens when there's a disaster whether there's a robbery there's a fire yeah it seems a very british thing of what can we milk the insurance company you know the way that ben yeah. says you know the recorder the camcorder the tapes he had a riverman booze compilation from america which Bill says, you know, it doesn't even play on British TV. But as Ben said, yes, but I had it. This is it. And it was the same with DVDs, actually. Both videos and DVDs, for some obscure reason, yeah, you couldn't work them in different machines on different continents. No. I don't know why that was a thing, but it was a problem. Yeah. And at the same time, it's that very 90s list of equipment, you know, the camcorder, the stereo, the television, the video. They were all aspirational things to have at the time. You know, you wanted to have all those things. And they were expensive. Yeah, really, they were. Really. And it's interesting, like, I can't think of many British families would, even then, buy videos from America. So not just any ones that they couldn't play, but not at all. It's like, you go on holiday, why would you buy videos? You know, but that's the family. They're a very quirky family. They've got their own interests and... I admire that. It's, quite, it's something I probably would have done at some point, just to have it, as Sven says. Yeah, and probably he didn't realise that actually came back. And also, that is one of several little references to previous episodes in this scene. Mm, yeah. You know, because obviously they went to America in a previous scene, and then we have Jenny referencing the hideous dress from her gran, which she says is probably made of stretch asbestos. And if you've yeah. seen that dress, you think, 
I mean, I'm not sure asbestos works as a fabric, but if anything was ever made of asbestos, that dress is probably it. Yeah, and, and it look, she looks like Bo Peep from Toy, Toy Story, or like a doll. It, it's, it's a hideous dress. Um, it'd be hideous for even a, a, a small child to wear. And David's saying, you know, can he get away with not doing his homework? And then Ben mentions the tax. Now, tax with Ben is a very um, touchy subject. We learn he's had, you know, well, they've got a tax rebate in the first series, but later on we learn that Bill does the tax for them and figures don't always match. And, uh, you know, he does the scene where he goes, well, he says to the tax man, I had to recreate the figures from memory. And, and, and Bill's just so unimpressed. It's brilliant. Yeah. And of course, that is, again, well observed because Ben is a self-employed plumber. He has to do an annual tax return to the tax man. Yeah. And if you've ever had to do one of those, they are a special circle of hell. And I have seen other people do them and I have thanked my lucky stars. I've never yet had to do one because they are a nightmare. I mean, people from other countries where the tax system is even worse think ours isn't too bad. But for us, it is a nightmare. Yeah. And, you know, tax season, like you will see horribly stressed looking people walking into accountants offices yeah, it's 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 finances. It's annoying. Rona enters saying the firemen's are rolling back their hoses. <laughs> and she's like, hmm? sorry, I was miles away. You know, she's just always got sex on her mind. Tony says one of the firemen's coming over. Rona says, oh, Neil, I think. They usually are, you know, and it's, um, you know, you know that she's obviously been with, with the firemen. Bill and Ben go with Neil to the front room. And Tony tells her that she's hopeless, but Rona professes that it was ages ago. And they begin smooching so he can taste the scotch that she's drunk. And it's so funny because they just forget that the kids are there. And then they, they, they just turn around and the kid's just staring at them. I love it when David turns to Jenny and says, if this was a video, mum would forbid us to watch it. Yeah. And what I love about this scene is that it reminds you of how well suited Rona and Tony are for each other. Yeah. Because... Tony knows what Rona's like and he loves her and he's like yeah I might give you a little bit of a good-natured joke but also I'm not going to get upset about the fact that literally some guy you slept with has just walked into the house because that's a thing that could always happen with Rona and he just rolls with it yeah exactly and I think she learned from um when she with Gordon her fiance she jilted twice they had the same number of partners so She's probably thinking, Tony's probably the same, probably as a DJ, gets a lot of attention. So in the front room, as you say earlier, you know, this is an example of where um, customer service and care is not a priority. Neil explains that the fire starts in the kitchen and, and it hadn't gone further than that. Just residual smoke, um, possibly from a faulty wire, loose wire. So we know that's probably what's, what's caused it. Bill asks if there's someone else that's going to come over to do anything, something else. And Neil just says, no, that's it. Bye. He just says it so casually and so, and I'm quite optimistically. And this is a phenomenal bit of acting by Belinda Lang here mm. because it's so realistic. As you say, everyone's in shock, Rona's anxious. They're all thinking about, you know, the benefits of maybe having certain things burn up. And then Bill's reaction, though, is genuinely someone in shock. You know, she's just like, you know, what does he mean? That's it. The door's kicked in, there's residual smoke, there's gallons of water everywhere. That is it. What do we do now? You know, she, she's just like, there must be some additional purposes. You know, isn't there anyone to tell us? What should we do? Write to Claire Rayner. And then as ever, she does a wonderful impression. She goes, 
Never mind, lovey. So your house producer chuckled. But will you do this for me, lovey? Will you just put your feet up and have a nice rifle through your knitting patterns until things don't seem so glum? It's a wonder. It's the second Claire Rayner reference in the series. She's mentioned in the fog, reference in Babes in the Woods. And do you know who it was? Claire Rayner. It's wonderful. I do love this whole sequence. And so one of the things I used to do was I was a county councillor for a while. And we were in charge of the fire service. And I remember this episode was in my mind because I did ask, you know, if somebody's house burns down, do we actually support them afterwards? And that is a thing now. I don't think it was back then. Yeah. But certainly nowadays, if your house burns down, there is somebody to tell you what's next. Because Bill's reaction is entirely understandable. You don't think about what would happen if your house burnt down. You get as far as... I really hope that doesn't happen. You don't think about the clear up. Exactly. And it, and it, and it is a, a character at a loss, at a genuine loss of what the hell they're going to do. And, you know, Ben says there was a screw loose from the kettle and Bill as ever has to bring in her. She says, so did Margaret that and she burst into flames regularly. And then, you know, just wonderful. Gotta love the many, many Margaret Thatcher references. It's one of those things. I mean, like in the episode where Jenny is meeting the parents, you know, Clive's parents, and she goes, and I'm pretty sure they're conservative, so please don't mention everything in the whole wide world being the fault of you-know-who. It's a running gag. And there was that kind of person still in the 90s that would still blame random things on Thatcher. Oh, it's still around now. I grew up near Liverpool. It's still around now, I promise you. (laughs) Yes, um... There was a famous quote of hers where she once said, do you mean to say by still being alive, I annoyed the left? Well, I hope I annoy them for years to come. <laughs> she's doing it now, even nearly decades after Even from beyond death. the grave. <laughs> oh, yes, she certainly is. And then, as, as with anything, you'd like, the last thing you want is Mrs Grimes to appear. And, you know, she, she's typically scatty and and tackless just leonard and i were frantic best we could find was a carpet phone so on their side was some heat blisters the cat won't come out of the airing cupboard and you know she's just you think she's there to give comfort and probably thinking about something that the porters would never do i think they probably would rather be on the street than ever ask her for a night at their house and she goes at times we like like this we don't ask like to ask our neighbors for for fear of our embarrassment. It's a very British thing, don't we? We don't we don't like to ask for help in Britain. We don't like to make it we don't like, you know, it's a very it's a very old fashioned way of thinking. And then she says, if you were wondering where you could spend a few nights until you're straight again, we couldn't possibly do it. You see, Leonard was at Monte Casino, couldn't stand the noise. To this day he needs to wear a balaclava on Guy Fawkes night. A balaclava? Can't he just wear like headphones or something? Or earplugs. Nice. I find find this very interesting because she's mentioned that Leonard was the one who was trying to put the fire out and was clearly actually being useful. She is using something very serious, post-traumatic stress disorder, from being in a war, which is what she's describing, although at that time we still wouldn't have said that. We still said shell shock in those days, I think. But, you know, that was a real problem for ex-soldiers for the rest of their lives. Yeah. But it's clear to Mrs. Grimes, this is just a handy excuse that came with her husband for anything she wants to get out of. We couldn't possibly do it. Leonard was at Monte Casino, you know. She's used that before. 
Oh yeah, she's got, it, she's got it wired in her brain, ready to just put out whenever necessary. And so she leaves and they go, goodbye. And I love Bill's comment. She goes, and I hope the cat wheeze on your towels. <laughs> yeah, and Ben left her to deal with Mrs. Grimes. Yeah. She's like, that was clearly his revenge for being blamed for the kettle. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So Ben returns and Bill asks how bad it is. And it's a great bit of um, transition now. He goes, I think it's best if you don't look at it right now. And then we cut to the smoke-filled house and it's all dark. And there's a caption that just appears saying, it doesn't even have a capital R at the front. It goes, right now. (laughs) It's brilliant. So they enter the house and Bill says, it's it's, you know, she didn't imagine it to be as bad as it is. Ben says, let's go back. He leaves and she just stands there and walks in further. And she just goes, look at it, it's black. She puts her hand up. She compares the, the two colours. This is colour, this is black. Um, you know, and then she's just like, it was a stupid idea to look at it. And it's a, it's a thing that you hear a lot of people say, you should have stopped me. It's like, well, you were going to go. Why would anyone have to stop you? You can have self-control. And Ben says, you know, there's things about you I don't understand. And Bill says, what is there about me not to understand about me? And then I love it when Rona appears and says, snake men have arrived and we should hand them the bag. It's like, they still yeah. don't even know what's going on. She doesn't even know why Ben's dressed as a blues brother. Yeah, no, so much has happened. And it's interesting. She says, half an hour ago, everything was fine. And you think, well, actually, the timeline of that last episode was largely real. You kind of get the feeling there was maybe time for the school concert to happen but you know certainly things have changed very very rapidly and it's bill's response to that line of the snake men have arrived i think we'd better give them the handbag oh right and she walks off you know there's not any thought of explaining to ben why there are snakes in a handbag it's just oh yeah we need to deal with that still yeah again it's that shock reaction you're processing things one by one rather than actually taking the time to explain everything and Ben is just stood there going what yeah but not in words just a look and I think most husbands have done that look at some point definitely oh definitely uh he just thinks oh whatever they've been up to because that this is Bill and Rona's second surreal adventure they that they've had the head through the cat flap and hanging from the light fitting and now we've had the cobras so it's it's just it's just the, another day in the in the life of Bill and Rona. So the next morning, Bill and, and Ben wake up in Rona's living room. They're sleep, slept on the sofa bed, and Christine stands over them. That's probably her worst nightmare. She's staring at them. Says she's waited forty five minutes outside, feeling her her radiator nuts off, and says that she's rung Ben's phone. She rang Ben's phone, and all she got was a tart from the Royal Shakespeare Company, another Royal Shakespeare Company mm-hmm. reference. The very phone you call maybe switched off. Oh, I say, I'm terrible. Do try again. The modern equivalent is much more starky now. She's like, I'm sorry, but the person you called is not available. It's just like, oh, go away. I can remember the earlier iteration of that message, and it was a very plummy voice that did it. But I also love the fact that Christine has climbed in through that window. Everything else that's happened, nobody still shut that window. No, Christine has still climbed through the window, which is a very Christine thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She just doesn't think, does she? Oh, and there's the bit where Ben is saying to her, you know, the house has clearly been on fire. The door's padlocked. And she just goes, that's just normal on my estate. Completely such a total difference in their in their class and and um class system and 
an experience. And Jenny comes in wearing Rona's pyjamas that we saw in Family Plot, saying she can't sleep with David's like sleeping with a dog. And Kristen says, well, they keep you warm. <laughs> so she's probably used to having her dogs um, share a bed with her. And I love it when Bill asks if she minds them getting dressed and Christine says no and just doesn't leave. And it's Ben who has to to go into the other room. And Christine storms saying, you know, I could be at home right now turning on Robert Kilroy's silk. And Bill says, that is a matter of opinion. Great bit of dialogue and joke. It's like, well, you know, watching, turning on TV, turning on sexually. Yeah, very good. Very yeah. good. I mean, he was considered quite hot at the time. If you Google a picture of him, you will wonder why. But we all had weird tasting men in the 90s. We just got so quick. <laughs> I, I, I literally, he's, he's one of those people I genuinely didn't know of until I watched this show. Same with Annika Rice. Didn't know she was until I watched this show. And they neither of them slept well. Bill refers to the chain letters. Um, I should have, uh, shouldn't have, have, have um, taught up the chain letter. You know, that for for a Tuosti episode did kind of set off a number of events that have led to this situation. And and that's what's so good about episode is that it's funny, but it has actually got some real consequences to the narrative of the series. Um, Ben's mobile phone rings and it's bet. Um, He sort of says, oh, it's not working at the moment. (laughs) And then hands it over to Bill. It's just a typical man saying, nope, I'm going to hand it over to my wife. Also, that is Bill's mother. She should know how to handle her own mother by now. And it's clear that even with everything else that is happening, Bill is like, okay, I need to handle mum. Cannot be dealing with my mother turning up right now. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, she lies to her, gets her off the phone, and then immediately she rings back. Yeah, I love the sequence to this. Like, we really get a sense of Bill knowing how Bet works. She's like, she'll know something's wrong by the tone of my voice. Hello, mum. What do you mean what's happened? He said, well, we've had a fire. It's a very small fire. And then she just switches off and she goes, no, no how do I switch this off? But don't get off after two seconds. She'll ri- I told you she's ringing back. Um, and then David doesn't want to go to school. And this is the moment you mentioned in the previous episode. Bill asks how long he's been wearing the underwear for. And then she says, oh, another day wearing, wearing those will be 10 times worse than anything we find in the house. So we go into the, the house and the, da- and the daylight shows the damage more clearly. There's black sort of marks everywhere. And she says she liked it better in the dark. Um, you know, she says, why did they have to make such a mess? And I love the way Ben says, yeah, next time we'll call the gay fire brigade. Like they'll, they'll make it more, they won't make as much mess. <laughs> yeah, that's a very 90s stereotype. I don't think you'd get away with that line today. That probably. would probably be the line that got you cancelled on Twitter. But- yeah, yeah, probably. At the time, that was a kind of standard joke. And you're just sort of looking at the utter devastation. And they're still in their clothes from the previous episode. You know, oh, Ben's still that. wearing the suspenders. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite... Um, it's, it's so brilliantly paced, their reaction. They take the time to sort of, after the craziness of the previous episode and then the, and the sort of dramatic opening, you know, real time to get this sort of you know they're they're thinking about like human beings it feels so real the way that you know the kitchen is back to square one you know with the way it looks and then Ben remembers that they had the insurance code number in the kitchen drawer with the insurance paper Ben tries to put the power back on and then Bill checks upstairs the smoke everywhere and then when she goes into her bedroom she finds two men on the bed with like cooking soup or something I thought they were cooking um What's it? What's what's the drug where you you use a pipe? Uh, meth or crack? 
something like that. Um, it's probably <laughs> a good sign. It's probably a good sign that I don't know what it means. Um, and <laughs> but the funny thing is, it's soup. They're making tomato soup. It's Heinz tomato soup. I noticed the tin um, on the side, and Bill's like, "Oh, sorry." And then she just goes outside and goes, "Opens the door. What the hell are you doing in here?" It's just a really wonderfully surreal moment. You just think, "What?" what? Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things that doesn't exist anymore. Squatters used to be a huge problem in London. And this was kind of like the tail end period of squatting. Because there were so many empty buildings in London. And there were squatters who would literally walk the streets of London at night, find a house that was partly burnt out or a warehouse building that wasn't in use or whatever, break in and make themselves at home. And this was like just a regular thing. And it had been going on for years. I think there's actually an episode of Are You Being Served where Mrs. Slocum has squatters in her flat. You know, that's sort of 20 years earlier. Yeah. And it was still a problem at this time because of this situation you had where people were leaving London as opposed to now where London is back to being a giant slum with everybody crammed in overcrowded housing. Yeah. But this time you had the opposite problem where there were tons of empty buildings in London. And so the squatters made themselves at home. Interesting. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. See, you've come with the you've come with the um, the knowledge, the historical knowledge there, Thomas. Appreciate it. Yeah, and you notice they're selling the big issue, and one of the things was as well as the big issue network, there were the squatter networks, and really? they kind of looked after each other. And it was quite common if you couldn't get into paid accommodation from selling the big issue, you'd go in a squat. And if wow. you were still stood there at the end of the day with a big stack of the magazine quite often there were people from the squats that would go around and say, well, we've got room for you at this squat if you want to come and doss down for the night rather than sleep on the streets. Fascinating. Wow, that, 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 this is so, it's so very contemporary and topical at this point. Yeah, so she waves them off and says good luck and then comes out in with like 60, a big pile of the big issue. And then... She hears a noise in the kitchen, like a bit of a rattling sound, walks in, opens one of the cupboards, and a squirrel just jumps, lunges out there onto her jumper, which scares her. It's quite a quite a funny visual because it actually looks quite a convincing squirrel, to be fair. It's obviously a prop, but it's very well made. So we go back to the Rona's living room and her and Tony are making up the sofa bed. And again, this is just a bit of a great banter between Tony and Rona keeps making remarks about the bed, the bed being up to wear, the spring's still working. Rona says it has a lot of use. Oh, yeah, Tony keeps remarking. Rona just says, oh, you're pushing it in, pulling it out, more innuendo. The bed, I mean. And then Tony suggests packing, packing his things so she'll be helping the porters get things sorted, won't be enough time to make a baby. Before he goes, she asks him to hold down a button on the sofa bench. She pushes him in and then basically entraps him in the bed. She she gets it back to normal and it traps him in the bed. I mean, it's quite a dangerous moment. I mean, he says there's a gap in the sofa so he can breathe. And she says, oh, I slipped. <laughs> How can you slip? <laughs> That's it. Even if she started with slipping, which let's face it, she didn't. She put the cushions back on top. That was just the creme de la creme of that moment. Yeah. Because it conveys so clearly that this is, she's panicked. Yeah. I did actually notice, if you look at this scene, you can see there's like a big black lump under the sofa. Okay. So I think they actually did put Tony like under the sofa. <laughs> this poor actor must have yeah. actually been put into like a compartment beneath it. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't actually look like he's, um, whatchamacallit, 
he doesn't look like he's a uh, kind of pausing at any point. It doesn't look like the film pauses or like there's like a, a, a moment where it looks like it could have been edited together. It looks like a, a full on no stopping scene. Very good for the actor to do that. Yeah, and it is one of those moments where that was a panic move because Rona's like, I don't want to lose him, but also I've not had time to actually think through what the hell I'm going to say. <laughs> and so she... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so she very calmly just throws him in the sofa because that was an option. Yeah. Has she done that before? I want to know. That one I'm not sure she's done before. She's um she she doesn't she's not someone who thinks she just uh, what well, how does she describe herself? She just rushes in, asks a question later. I think she describes herself as, and that's very much a moment like this, you know. And I think she's just using it as the opportunity. He's trapped, and says, you know, you don't have to leave and not stay for a baby. And then it's a lovely, as again, lovely tender little moment. He says, you know, he'd like to stay, and they enjoy being with each other. And it's a great bit of acting by Julia Hills when she's lying like on the top of the sofa and then sort of just strokes it. I mean, you like a little like a picture. And then Christine walks in eating cereal, just looking at it like completely confused. Yeah, this is another one of those moments where if you don't know the context, you just walk into the room and be like, what is going on here? Because, of course, nobody else knows that Tony is now stuck in the sofa. Well, yep. I do love Rona's line of, you're not just saying that because you're trapped in the sofa. Yeah. Do you think he should, I think he just knows that she's going to be an interesting character to live with. I think he also genuinely does care for her. And I think yeah. when he was offering to move out, he was doing it because he thought it was the right thing to do, not because he wanted to. Yeah. And so by talking about it, they realised they're on the same wavelength. And Christine walks in with the cereal and mentions the bacon on the grill will be ready for the cremation service. And then when she and then when Rona runs out and and Chrissy says, Oh, I'm I would happily have some. And then he t- and then when the room's empty, that's when Tony says, Hello. <laughs> you know, now he's completely stuck. Back yeah. in the pot. Oh, come. Well, that's just it, you know, the, that is just Tony is then left there for the rest of the episode. <laughs> just magnificent yes and so we go back to the living room um and the electric of the porter's house and the electricity turns on the answer machine explodes a woman on the telly talks about um patricia hodges home bill then begins to burst into tears and rattles uh, just in total despair you know goes on saying yeah, the house destroyed some silly bitches on the tv i had to buy 50 copies of the big issue and a squirrel bit my jumper and and she's so i mean billingland plays these serious parts so well even the funny lines you know uh, especially with her, my jumper you know in her, in her voice it croaks it's and you just feel so sorry for her and and then ben sort of there really sort of sensitively saying you know they can make it right again and then suddenly Beck appears and just says, you know, well, I didn't go through the blitz to be put off by something like this. This will use more than a, this will need more than a flash of, on a cloth. You know, what I love about Bet is she really does have that blitz spirit of keep calm and carry on and get up. And, and you know, she lived through it all. And I love the way she, she's sort of a typical woman. She's going through the war, but then the way she spends her Fridays is going to Mark's Food Alley and read the cake labels. I mean, that is if that's not freedom, I don't know what is. I mean, for me, this is my favourite episode with Bet in it, 
because mm. this is the point where you see because there's always that question with you know a horrible mother slash mother-in-law why do they put up with her well the thing is when everything has gone hideously wrong it is bet who turns up takes charge and you notice in the time it took her to come down she's immaculately turned out which i love mm. matching outfit she's got a hat on very properly turned out mm. she's also managed to order a skip yeah and have it delivered the same day yeah. as well as traveling down from suffolk you know she's really calm and organized in this situation and again she references the blitz because the thing is if you know people who've been through the blitz and like my grandmother was bombed out twice by the germans um and just still doesn't bear a grudge surprisingly and Um, it's one of those things people who went through that anything that is less than that they're like well i've done worse and i can cope because i have coped I think that's exactly it. I think Bet is a very what you what you know about Bet, and this is why I like her more than it's very typical the grandmother mother in law sitcom character is always tactless and a bit miserable and and horrible. But with Bet, she's a bit more fleshed out. She's a very hardworking woman. You learn from the previous series that she used to hold down jobs at the factory to look after Bill. Um, she probably did everything in the house as well because that's the she's a you know, marriages of that generation been through the war and you know yes she's probably you know she's she's a bit wearsome hearing she's a bit weary to hear her talk but actually she's been through so much and yet she's kind of a better person for it actually and you do find that with that generation they're very as you say they just they just think well we've been through the war yeah and it's been really interesting actually part of what has kept me going these last few awful months has been being able to talk to my own grandmother who I think I think that is probably about the same age as my grandmother's older sister mm-hmm. and you know so, tiny bit younger but not much and it's that kind of being able to be told actually yes you can survive this I know I've been through worse well, that's is actually very heartening and that is exactly what they need to hear in this moment they need somebody who is going to come in and tell them actually you're going to be okay yeah, and, and that's what uh, we need now. Knew that. Yeah, yeah. His, his, I think we live in it. I think we live in history. Mm. We live. We live. We live with so much history in our past and so much documented history. We know that things all things pass. Everything ends, good and bad. And I think that's quite um, well. And people survive everything. So yeah. I think that gives us a lot of hope for this last year and. I love the way that when um, the skip arrives and there's that music, I couldn't know what the music was, but it sounded like something from 2001. Am I right? That's the Dan Busters theme. Is it? Oh, fantastic. And so again, it is all, but it's the heartening bit at the end of the Dan Busters when it's all worked and they actually succeed in the scheme and destroy the dance. And, you know, it's this kind of very uplifting crescendo of music. And it's one of those, it's a very British sort of thing, you know, very uplifting type of music. And of course, what is the backdrop of this? It is moving on from the horrible disaster. Yeah. And of course, that is exactly what the war generation did. And it's exactly what Bet is helping them do here. She's like, come on. And she says, you don't want to mess about with something like this. (laughs) Just, she's not. 
it's interesting. She doesn't actually lend a hand. She's no. in charge. Oh yeah, when giving they, orders. I love the, the 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 visual of them all going from the house to the skip, throwing things, going back in, and she's just standing there watching them all like she's the army major in that moment. It's it's a really great bit of acting. Yeah, pursed lips and handbag firmly clutched. She is not getting her hands dirty, but at the same time, she's exactly what they needed in that moment. They didn't need another pair of hands. They needed somebody who could do the mental lifting to get them through this moment. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I think now, as you say, this is the moment you realise why Bill needed, actually does respect her mum, even if she finds her annoying. And I think that's the situation for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people have parents who are useless, genuinely. From an outsider point of view, some people I know whose parents, they sound utterly useless and should never... Well, the only good thing they have is the children that they brought, who I know, who are wonderful people and will make better parents. But some people are just so terrible parents. And yeah, and I'm, and I'm actually I'm jumping the gun here because it's meant reference something later on. Um, and, but then Bet's never too far away from her, her kind of bossy self. They're, they're all clearing up and Ben and Christina carrying the, the, the new window. And she's like, mind the chair, mind this, mind that, mind that. She's like hiding through Kay in the car. Keep your eye mm. on the road, Richard. You know, things like that. And then Christine just says, I'm going to, Whop her in the face in a minute. That's it. You know, she's still bet. She's still annoying. But it's one of those things. There are certain people who, yeah, they wind us up all the time, but we know when we need them. Yeah, they're there. That's when they come through for us. And if you have someone in your family like that, you will forgive them just about anything. Yeah. Because, you know, if you ever really need them, they're going to be the one that turns up and sorts everything out for you. Yes, absolutely. And I love the way David's completely covered in sus. And it reminds me of that in the family plot when they talk about if they were in Victorian times, he would have been stuck up a chimney. It's like he's really doing some manual labour right now, um, which is probably more than he's ever done in his life. It's very funny. Yeah, it reminds me of when, if you ever have both boys and girls working on steam locomotives, boys always end up sootier every time. Don't know how it happens, but it happens. The boys always end up covered black. Yeah, head to toe and the girls can usually still put some lipstick or something on yeah. um, they're you know lightly smattered with soot but it's a quick repair job not a scrub job yeah that's it that's very good <laughs> and then again going back to what we said earlier about the whole can we get away with getting new stuff in Christine suggests that they took out the telly have you thought about checking the TV and gives them that wink winky look of like you know you can get a new one on the insurance a line after that, though, is just fantastic. It's one of the best lines Christine has. Why do you think Windsor Castle burnt down just as she had to pay taxes? Everybody does it. It's just like, I mean, that's, I, I follow her logic. That's not what happened at all. But yeah. Well, just think, though, it's 94, this. That's two years after the, uh, the fire. Yeah. It's that the Queen went through, which I'm sure the people were having a worse year. And Bill says that if they could start over with their, if only they could start over with their lives, you know, like they're doing now, you know, wipe it down and start over. You know, Rona mentioned that maybe things like this should happen to start over. And and again, it's another moment of Rona saying something that could come across on. She's like, so you think this is good that we had a, a fire? And then she tells Bill that Tony is staying over and Bill's happy. Mm. It's also interesting that sequence is bookended by the two catchphrases. Because you have the kids run up the stairs and you have the don't slam your door thump. Yeah. When they're running upstairs to destroy the homework book. 
And then at the end of this sequence, you have Bill go, where's Tony? And Rona screams bum in a jockstrap as yes. she runs out remembering yes. that she has left Tony on the sofa. Typical. And, and, and then this moment with Mrs. Grimes is just wonderful. Mrs. Grimes appears in Rona's living room and thinks she left her keys there the night before. So she puts her hands down the back of the sofa. She did sit down on the sofa. And then as she just puts her hands somewhere, Tony starts to sort of moan and say, oh, you do pick your times. And, and Mrs. Grimes is so horrified. And, and you really can see in her eyes the sheer hideousness of what she's feeling. She's so bad. That's it. Again, you know exactly where her hand went. Yeah, but it's never said. And exactly. also, I do kind of like the fact the tables are turned compared to family plot yeah. when Ben was sort of leaning over her with his hands yes. about quarter of an inch above her chest, and yeah. now she's the one accidentally copying a feel. Yeah, and what I find funny is in the next episode, Relax Over, we learn that Tony's parents only had sex once because Rona references Will uh, McMillan saying, "You never had it so good." So we thought, why not bother a second time? And it's it's that funny thing, the couple, the older couples, you know, probably only ever had sex the times they've had, the number of times, the number of children they've had. And the Grimes, I think, are definitely in that category. 